0: Well, good morning, Bethel. Good morning, Bethel Southwest. It's uh, so good to be with you, brothers and sisters, this morning out in the Glencoe Ag Hall. And uh, it was wonderful getting to be together, all together as one church in person for a Good Friday service. I hope many of you were able to be there with us And uh, to all of you at home that are joining us through the website or through uh, Rogers TV, good morning too. I'm really looking forward to diving into God's word here together. Would you bow with me and let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's word today. Gracious God, we praise you and thank you for who you are and what you have done. And we've been singing your praise and how amazing and wonderful you are, even as we've been uniting together already. And now as we come to your word, we are eager to hear from you. And not just to hear from you, but to be transformed. Oh, Holy Spirit, do a work in our midst as we look into your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. In 1995, a band called DC Talk released a song that opened with this lyric. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Jesus said to his followers that we are to stand out. He he said that that people will know we are his disciples by the way that we love. He called us to be um, a city on a hill so that from every direction you look, it just shines out, to be a lamp put up high and give light to the whole room in the dark. But sadly, I think that opening lyric of that song is often true. And often true far more than we would ever want. Sadly, the the world around us, the people around us, even those in our own lives and our own homes, maybe, have been turned off of Jesus because of supposed Christians who are conformed to the world. Living and looking just like everybody else around rather than being transformed by Jesus. What our world needs, what, what you need, and what I need, what the people in your life, your your neighbors, your co-workers, your family, your friends, what my, my neighbors, my family, my coworkers, my friends need what our church as a whole needs and our community needs is not men and women who are just conformed and living just like everybody else when they walk out the doors of the church but what what your circle of people need and my circle of people need and what our community needs is men and women you and me and us collectively together to be a group of people who are trans formed conform christians that's just what the unbelieving world finds unbelievable transform christians that's god's heart for us and so if you have your bibles i want to invite you to open them up grab them out open them up to the book of romans chapter 12 this morning that's where we're going to be learning from today and this is exactly what God's Word is all about today. This is exactly what God's Word is calling us to. Transformation. Transformed. Not conformed. And so we're going to read these first two verses and dive into them. Romans chapter 12, beginning verse 1. God's Word says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conform, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our text opens up with this word, therefore, and there's this, pithy saying that you learn when you go to Bible college to become a preacher. And and it says something like, you know, anytime you see the word therefore, you need to ask, what is it there for? (laughs) Our text opens with a therefore, and it is there because we are starting chapter 12, verse 1. And and it's a a turning point here. The beginning of chapter 12 is a, a turning point in this whole book of Romans that we have been studying through. Now I don't know if you remember back or maybe you're new and you're just joining with us for the first time this morning and, and you weren't with us but just before we took a little bit of a break over Easter we've been journeying as a church studying our way through this amazing and wonderful book called Romans. And, and this chapter 12 verse 1 is this turning point because we, we have seen all the way up to that in the first 11 chapters, this incredible unpacking of this letter that the Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul to write to this group of Jesus followers to, to strengthen them and to encourage them with the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It was written originally to this um, group of Jesus followers in the ancient city of Rome, but the Holy Spirit has carried this on and used this to be applied to generation after generation, including us as part of God's very holy word. And there's this thesis statement that really captures it in chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God for salvation. For everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. These first 11 chapters are all basically unpacking and looking at and explaining this amazing, strengthening and encouraging good news message. This gospel message that God has a plan to bring the good news to his chosen people. We were all made to know God, to know God personally, to worship him and to be in right relationship with him except every single one of us have turned our backs on him. Every single one of us have rejected him. Some in total irreligion, some in hyper self-righteous religion, but in both cases it's actually been a rejection of God in favor of a doing things my way. In other words, we've all committed the ultimate act of treason against our Creator. In in other words, we've, we've done the ultimate betrayal, more grievous than the most heinous of affairs, to the lover of our souls. We've broken the rule of Almighty King. The ultimate crime. And for that, we deserve punishment. Our our God is a holy God, a just God who does not let horrible atrocities of of treason and betrayal and and crime to be just left unpunished. And he is just. And so we all, there's no excuse and there's no questioning. We are all guilty before God and deserving of punishment. But in this even greater act of mercy, God set forth this plan to send his son to live, to die, to rise again, to step in the gap for you and I and extend this offer of salvation to all people and to create a chosen people for his own from every people, nation, tribe, and tongue who put their faith in Jesus. That's what we celebrated just last week. The one who came, who lived, who died, and who rose again for us. And so, therefore, in view of all of that, in view of all that amazing, wonderful, glorious, soul-stirring, heart-stirring, mind-blowing good news, in view of all of that, What are we to do? How do we now live? How do we interact with one another? How are we to to live as examples around for those in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces? What difference does this make in our lives? And the answer is that it changes everything. It changes everything. We are to be a transformed people. What God intends for each one of us in view of all of this amazing good news is transformation. What God calls us to is transformation. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed. What what the unbelieving world finds unbelievable is a whole bunch of supposed Christians who are just conformed and look like everybody else around them. But what God's intent is for you and for me is that we would be transformed. That we would be altogether different because of this amazing, glorious, good news. Radically, undeniably transformed people. And here in these two verses, as we start back into our study in the book of Romans, we find three beautiful thoughts that just jump out of God's word for us to learn from as we seek to follow God down that path of transformation. Okay? Three things that jump out of our text. Here's the first one. Transformed people are motivated by mercy. Transformed people are motivated by mercy. Let me just reread for us that first half of verse 1 again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as living sacrifices. The call of this text is transformation. The motivation of this text is mercy. The call of our text is transformation in your life and my life. The motivation given to us for how we are to experience this transformation is the mercy of God that comes to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, "I urge you, it says which means I plead with you, I long with you, I beg you, by the mercy of God, the mercy of God is the only motivation that brings about true and lasting transformation. Let me say that again. The mercy of God is the only motivation that will bring about true and lasting transformation in your life and in my life. I mean, the lottery is like a perfect example of this. How many would not think that if you just were to, hit the jackpot this week. I don't know what Lotto 649 is at right now, but if you were to hit the jackpot this week and win, you know, $24 million, how would that not make your life so much better? Wouldn't you agree? I mean, that's why people in droves go and buy 649 tickets, isn't it? Except it's interesting. You know, there's an MIT study that came out not too long ago that, that found out that winning the lottery actually makes you more likely to file for bankruptcy in the next three to five years. Did you know that? Winning the lottery makes it more likely for you to file for bankruptcy in the next couple of years. And one economist said that studies found that instead of getting people out of financial trouble, winning the jackpot, winning the lottery, got people into more trouble since bankruptcy rates soared for lottery winners three to five years after they won. Now, whether you play the lottery and chase after that, or whether maybe it's chasing after that raise at work and the next big promotion, or or maybe it's longing for and hoping for and working so hard to try and get enough money to, to get your first house or to get the nicer house, the newer house, the bigger house. We chase after all kinds of stuff in all kinds of ways, thinking if I just get that, then I'll be good and it's gonna change me. Or we chase after the approval of people. Any people pleasers here today? I can't tell you how many different ways I see this play out, but more than I can even count, I've sat down with grown adults who continue to feel this burning desire in their own hearts. If I could only have my dad or my mom say they're proud of me, if I could only get the approval of them to tell them they love me and I, I long for it and I'm just chasing after even now, four or five decades after I've been out from under their roof. Or we chase after getting rid of the idea of barriers blocking us. I mean, that's a big thing these days, Right? Get rid of all the glass ceilings. Get rid of all the barriers that are possibly holding you back, restricting you. Anything that hinders you from being the real full you, we need to just abolish all of those things, right? Including the very definition of who you are. Because if I can just have all the barriers removed, then I'm able to be the real me. The, the massive problem with each of these approaches to change, motivations for change, and every other motivation that is coming out from ourselves is that they have some degree of truth, but they minimize the problem and they offer a savior that is crushed under the weight of its own solution. The big problem with each of these and any other pursuit that we go after in and of ourselves to try and Change is that that they minimize the problem we've got, and they create this savior that can't stand up under its own strength. And and it's true of all of those pursuits I just mentioned, and so many more. They say the problem you've got in your life is not that bad. All you need to do is get a little bit more. Fill in the blank, right? A little more money, a little nicer house, a little more status a little bit more, somebody just saying, yes, good for you, or wow, you're so incredible, or I love you, just get a little more barriers removed, just need a little bit more. And then they present this Savior that is held up as as gloriously able to rescue you, except as soon as you put your weight down upon it, it's going to collapse right underneath you like a deck of cards, a house of cards. The problem is that we are Far worse than we would ever acknowledge. And these supposed saviors collapse under the weight that we put them in. And so God says here, you want a motivation that's really going to bring about change in your life? Let me tell you one. The mercy of God in the gospel. The mercy of God in the gospel. The mercy of God in the gospel says... To you, dear brother, dear sister, and to me, the depth of your brokenness is far worse and deeper than you would ever realize. At the very core of your being, you are dead and a slave. Now, maybe you feel like, man, that sounds pretty harsh. That really stings. Now, let me ask you the question though. What would you say if you had a doctor who knew you had cancer, but when he sat down across the table from you, he said, you know what, just take a Tylenol and have a cup of Gatorade and you'll be fine? I mean, that sounds a whole lot nicer in that moment, doesn't it? Oh, all I need to do is take a Tylenol and have a little um, nap. That's all I need. Really? Except, is that not one of the most unkind and unloving things to say if you know that there's actually a cancer that is about to kill you if you don't do something? I mean, is it not? Sure, sure, it will sting when you sit across the table from your doctor and they say, I need to tell you, you've got cancer and you've only got so many days unless we do something right now. That stings at that moment. But that is the most loving thing that can be done in that moment because it's true, right? And then if that doctor sitting across the table from you says, you've got cancer, and if we don't do anything, you've only got these many days, but I've got a solution. Now all of a sudden, you're jumping for joy, right? Because the sting is what you needed to hear, and there is a rescue option coming from this doctor. It is the mercy of God that has been rolled out for us in these first 11 chapters of this book that we need to cling to. At first, it might feel like it stings, but it is the most loving thing we can hear and there is a solution that comes aside. I urge you to remember, in view of God's mercy, it says here, you are a sinner. Your sin has killed you. You're dead. You're enslaved to that sin. The depth of the tentacles of sin go deeper into your mind and your heart and your desires and your actions and your soul. They go deeper than you could ever have thought. The poison of sin has reached more of you than you would ever have imagined. But Jesus went to the cross to wash every single inch and crevice by dying on your behalf. The mercy of God says there is not a single deep, dark secret in your life that God doesn't know there's nothing hidden from him there is nothing where you've got the wool pulled over God's eyes and he doesn't know about that situation when that happened that thought that background there's nothing that God is not fully aware of the holy God of the universe seeing all of those areas of my life and your life he knows it all he has seen it all And he tells us in Romans chapter 5, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10 verse 11, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. At the exact Same time, the gospel confronts you with this truth. You are more lost than you ever imagined and more loved than you ever dreamed. On our own, left to our own devices, we are more lost and hopeless and helpless than we ever imagined. And through the gospel and Jesus' open arms to us, saying, everyone who calls them the Lord, if we would but return and repent and run into Jesus' hands, we are more loved than we would ever dream. This is the power that brings about transformation. This is the only power that brings about true, lasting transformation, the mercy of God. Here's the second thing we see coming from God's word. Transform people and get back on the altar again and again and again. Let me read the whole of verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I say transform people, it probably would be better for me to say transforming people because we are all on a journey here. None of us, including most definitely myself, have arrived in this. So we are people being transformed. We're not yet arrived. And it says here, we are urged in view of God's mercy and as people being transformed to offer your bodies up as a living sacrifice to God. Now, let me paint a picture for you, okay? I want you to imagine this table is an altar, okay? I went out in my backyard, I got a whole bunch of big stones and I built up this big, you know, stone pile, ultimately to have this flat tabletop for an altar. And I want to offer a sacrifice to God, a living sacrifice. So I go back out into my fields and I go and I get a bunch. uh, I look through my sheep and I find the best, most perfect sheep that I've got. I chase it down, I grab it under my arm. I bring this sheep, this living sacrifice out and I bring it to give as a sacrifice to God by putting it on the altar. And so I want you to picture with me as soon as I take this sheep and I put the sheep, the living sheep, on top of the altar, and as soon as I let go, what does the sheep do? Well, you know what the sheep does, right? Immediately, that sheep is standing there, and all of a sudden, it jumps off, and it wants to run back into the field to, I don't know, play with all of its friends or something. That's us. That's us, brothers and sisters. Right there. Jesus says, come Follow me. Lay your lives into my hands. Offer all of yourself on the altar. Offer your bodies up as a living sacrifice. As one who is holy. That means set apart. Think grandma's special china up on that back cupboard way up high. You know, set apart for a really special occasion. Offer yourself wholly up to God as one set apart For an extra special occasion for God to use for a very special purpose, this is your spiritual worship, spiritual act of worship. Because worship is not just singing. Worship's not just singing, worship is surrender. I give you all of me, God. I I dedicate my life to you, God. I exalt you above all others. I listen to your voice ahead of all others, above everyone and everything else. Offer yourselves up to God like that. But we are living sacrifices. Just like that sheep. where, Where we go and as soon as we're put on the altar and the hands are let go, what do we want to do? We want to immediately... Jump off. We want to immediately jump off and run back to go play with all of our friends. We want to get off the altar and go back to being conformed, not transformed. But transformed people are men and women who keep running back to the altar again and again and again. And again, and again, and again, getting back on the altar and saying, okay, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Have mercy on me. I surrender again. Oh, I jumped off. Okay, God, I run back to you. I surrender. And we need to do this, keep on over and over and over again, because we've all had this experience, right? Where we've been like sitting together like this right now on Sunday morning, gathering together, hearing God's word. And it's like... Oh man, you pierced my heart so deep. I know, I've been I've been so convicted because I've been worrying so much about how we're going to be able to pay the bills. And I just realized, God, you're in control. I trust you. Okay, okay, God. And now we sit here, I surrender. I trust you. I give it all to you. I, I know you'll look after me. I'm going to follow your ways. My life is in your hands. My money is in your hands until... Tuesday morning and whatever goes wrong with the car. And then all of a sudden we jump back off the altar as quickly as we even realized it. And we're running back in the fields, overcome with worry all over again. Right? Or, or, or we gather together with our, our guys for small group and, and I had a stumble this week looking at stuff on, on the screen that I should not have been looking at and I confess to the brothers and, and we have this incredible time of confession, repentance and prayer and I'll never do it again. I'm done with that. I'm fleeing from that. I'm, I'm away from that. I, I need your help. I fully surrender. Brothers, pray for me. Hold me up. Help me out. And it lasts for like a week or two until... You're sitting alone and everybody's gone and your thought pops into your head and before you even know it, you're cruising through and you're off the altar and you're running in the fields all over again. Brothers and sisters, the world all around us is calling us and yet at the same time despises when it sees us be conformed. What the world needs is transformed you and transformed me. And transformation happens as we keep running back over and over and over to get back on the altar to say, I surrender, I lay my life down, not my ways, not my will, yours be done. This is like, think Jesus. In the garden, last night, before he's about to be betrayed and killed, it says there in Matthew 26, going a little farther, Jesus fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. A transformed person is the one who says, This is not my Ministry. It's not my ministry. This is not my money. This is not my plan. This is not my way. Your will be done, God. I surrender all to you. That is the path of transformation. And so let me ask, are, are you on the altar right now, fully surrendered? Or have you jumped off, running in the field, Living the life of being conformed just like everybody else. Oh, dear friend, brother, sister, run back and get back on the altar and surrender again to Jesus. Offer your body up as a living sacrifice again and again and again and again and again. again. We need to keep keep coming back and getting on the altar. Finally, Transform people, renew their minds by stopping and starting. So we've seen, first of all, that transform people find their motivation in the mercy of God. That's the only motivation that's going to bring about transformation. And then we've seen that transformed people need to keep coming back to the altar and surrendering their whole lives, a spiritual act of worship. And then finally here, transform people must renew their minds. By stopping and starting. Look at verse 2 again with me. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. There it is. God's desire for us not to be conformed, but to be transformed. Right? Right? It's transformed people that God is desiring to make us to be. And so are you being transformed, brother? Are you being transformed, dear sister? Disciples of Jesus are changing people, not staying where they are, not staying where they were five years ago, but being transformed to be more like Jesus. And the final thing we see in this text is that transformation happens by renewing your mind. See that in text, right? By renewing your mind, our minds are immersed and saturated in so many things. We might act like our minds are rocks, okay? And if you take a rock and dump it in a bucket of water, what's going to happen to the rock? Well, Nothing, right? Except for maybe the outside gets wet. That's how we think our minds are, are. But the truth of the matter is our minds are actually, we are like sponges. See, when you put a a big sponge into a bucket of water, well, what happens? Into every inch of that sponge, the water is just sucked and filled. And then when you pull that sponge out, it just oozes with water dripping from it, right? Our minds are like sponges, immersed, soaking up so much. God says, I want you to renew your mind. I want you to fill your mind, immerse your mind, have it be sucked up with something breathtakingly beautiful and wonderful and new. I want you to immerse your mind in a bucket of pure, beautiful, sparkling, crystal clear water, not the filth and the muck. That you're in right now, that you've been in, that the conformed world is in. I want you to have your thoughts and your desires and your will transformed so that you can test and approve what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. So you can live the transformed life that God wants you to. How do we do this? Well, we renew our minds by stopping and starting. By stopping and starting. Brothers and sisters, if you want to be transformed, there are some things that you need to stop. We need to stop filling our minds with. There are some buckets of water that we need to stop putting our sponges into and soaking up and being immersed in. I mean, I could start with some pretty obvious ones right off the top. If you are immersing yourself in gambling, if you can't watch your favorite sports team without having money on the game or drinking, if you can't have a good time with your friends without a a glass of whatever in your hand, or what about the shows you watch? How much sex and swearing And relationships outside of marriage and vulgarity are you watching in your daily rhythms and routines or the music you're listening to? What are the lyrics talking about? that you hum along to, or the podcast that you are listening to as you you drive to work or you do exercise, or the friends and acquaintances that you hang out with? What are the topics of conversations and the jokes that are being made and the the, the path that conversations go down? What are you immersing the sponge which is your mind in? And maybe you're like, wow, man, (laughs) That sounds like really legalistic. Why are you getting so legalistic with me? And I'd say, no, it's not legalistic. Legalism, let's be clear, legalism is about saying you need to do A, B, and C in order to be saved. That's not at all what I am saying. The only way you are saved or I am saved, the only path to heaven is through Jesus because he's done it all and we have messed up. What I am saying is, If you've come to know Jesus, but your sponge is so full of the filth of all that other stuff, there's nothing to suck Jesus into your mind further and to fill you up. What we need is we need to stop. We need to pull out of some of these buckets of filth that we're just immersing our minds in, thinking we're just a rock, that it's not permeating into us. But it is. It's permeating right into our very minds, hearts, wills, and soul. You ever find yourself... ever find yourself in the spot where you're like, man, I don't know where, where'd that thought just come from? Why did I just react that way? Why did I say that? Why did I laugh at that joke? Why did I just say that joke? Where did that just come from? You know, there's a pretty good chance that if you step back for a minute and ask the Lord to search your heart, you're going to see that just like a sponge goes into that bucket and then you pull it out and it's like dripping out. What you've immersed yourself in is dripping out. You can try and hold it in, but it's actually what's right in there. And what we need is a really good squeeze of a sponge to get all of that other water out. We need to stop immersing ourselves in all those other buckets, squeeze that water out, and then we need to start. We need to start immersing ourselves in a bucket of pure, beautiful, crystal clear. Holy Spirit water. We need to start doing some stuff. We need to start immersing ourselves in these pure water of the bucket. What does that mean practically? Well, let me give you a quick list of five things that immediately pop to the top of my mind. We don't have time to dive into all of these, but here's what I wanna encourage you to do this week in small group. This is gonna be such a great topic of conversation for you to to really dig into together and, and talk about how each of these are so vital and helpful and then add some more to your list because this is an exhaustive list. But here's five things for you and I to start doing to renew our minds. Number one, the word. Soak your brain in this book. Let me just ask, like just straight up. If you want a renewed mind, how often are you opening this book? How much are you reflecting and meditating and memorizing this book? How much time are you spending in God's Word? We need to start immersing ourselves in the beautiful bucket that is God's Word. Worship is the second one. How high on the list of priorities in your week is worship? I mean, I'm pretty sure you won't keep your job for more than a few days if you don't make it there on time each day, right? And it's a top priority for those of us who are working. we got to be at work. Is church that kind of priority for you? Gathering together with the people of God to worship? That's how we immerse our minds as we make that a top priority. Unless I am, you know, dying and ill or whatever, like I, I'm going to be there to gather with God's people because I want to immerse myself in this good, beautiful, pure water or the table. When we unite together and we gather around the communion table, how much do you let that just soak and saturate in your mind to reflect on? Not just rush through. Oh, as soon as it happens, jump up off your seat and go and grab the communion else. But no, slow down. Reflect on, consider what we're doing. Jesus died, his body broken. Jesus died, his blood poured out. Oh, I remember. Is there anything wrong in my heart that I'm not walking forward in, in the right place? Anything grievous that I need to confess? Any issues between me and brothers and sisters that are going awry? Or are we coming to the table and letting it just be this immersion of our minds and souls in the truth of the gospel? Two more, a team. Have you got yourself onto a team here in your church family where you're using your spiritual gifts to serve the Lord? You are made, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God has given you spiritual gifts by His Holy Spirit and you are made to be a part of His body using them. We need to immerse ourselves and renew our minds by being a part of these, these teams where we're using the gifts God's given to us. And then finally, we need to get into our groups. And not just to gather to say we're gathering, to get more intellectual information. Not just to gather in a group to just check off some boxes. Not just to gather and to um, have general connection in community where we talk about the Leafs or we talk about the weather. But what we need is to immerse ourselves in the communities where we are Asking one another, are you getting out of the muck and wringing out the sponge that is your mind? We need to push each other towards the truth of God's word, to pray for one another's souls, to stir one another up. Is this a priority in your life right now? There's five, there's my five. What would you add to it? See, God desires for us, for you, for me, for us collectively as church bodies in the community that we are in to not be conformed. That's when an unbelieving world just finds unbelievable supposed Christians that are just conformed and live like everybody else. God's desire is for you and for me and for us collectively to be a transformed people transformed by the mercy of God, transforming as we lay our lives down over and over and over on the altar before the Lord and transformed by the renewing of our minds as we stop and as we start by the grace of God.